Oncology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website, www.osl.uk.com, and take a look at our product line, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and IBA symmetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist you. Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. So welcome to podcast number 53. My name's Jane McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Naaman Jolka Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Charlie Wardle, who talked about his experience of having head and neck cancer and the impact that's had on his mental health. So if you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're really pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Lucy Eldridge, who is the Associate Lead for Therapies, Gastrointestinal, Gynecological, CCU, Palliative Care, Drug Development, Professional Lead for Dietetics at the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust. And we're going to be discussing her career and the role of dietitians in the cancer pathway. So welcome Lucy. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> you have the longest title oh, um, ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about your amazing career pathway um, and kind of what you're currently doing at the moment? Yeah, no problem. Thank you and thank you for inviting me. Um, so I've pretty much always worked in cancer. Um, my interest in cancer kind of started um, through child, you know, family members. We've got quite a strong family history in our family. So um, went to university and in fairness, dietetic training, there's not a huge amount of exposure to, to cancer during the training, um, but was lucky on placement, um, you know, I was able to go on the cancer wards, do some radiotherapy and sort of the passion grow, grew from there. So after a brief spell in Kent, went to Bart's and really sort of over the 15, 16 years I was there sort of developed my passion and my interest and the role developed and changed whilst I was there, sort of giving me a very broad spectrum of cancer experience. I was able to do, they supported me to do my MSc in cancer care, which was amazing and brought me into contact with lots of different AHPs who were also working in cancer across the country um, and then about 11 years ago moved over to the Marsden as the head of dietetics as was my title until more recently um, and have had an incredibly varied job both at Bart's and at the Marsden and to be fair both institutes have also allowed me to work on national projects as well so um very varied experience, um, exposure to lots of different things. Um, and yeah, the, the day job now, um, still sort of, yes, head of dietetics, but we've sort of changed the model at the Marsden um, for therapies. Um, so strategically um, for therapies, I sort of look into those areas that you listed earlier um so responsible for understanding where the gaps are understanding the areas of development um meeting with both sort of staff and sort of more senior management and clinicians doctors radiographers in those areas um operational responsibilities for dietetics and then still um still maintain a clinical caseload as well which i absolutely love 
um, and it keeps it real and keeps you in touch with everything that's going on day to day. What could a normal day look like for you? I feel like you could be everywhere. It can be. I mean, it can be just so varied. So, you know, often many meetings, I must admit, but those meetings could be with a senior manager to discuss what's going on in GI cancers and the role of therapies. Um, It could be discussing, you know, the catering needs of our patients or the... um, the entral feed, you know, I, I chair the entral feeding group in the trust, so it's ensuring that we're sort of up to speed with the current guidelines, to meeting with Macmillan and HEE to discuss training needs nationally and developing sort of new pathways. So it's very varied and which I love, um, keeps you on your toes. Um, I always do a clinic every week, so I said clinically keep my hand in that way. And I mean, last week I did two days on the wards, so um it really does vary day to day, um, but it just gives you that broad spectrum, which as I said, enjoy. <laughs> Do any of your friends and family come to you for dietary advice? Oh, all the time. You have to just <laughs> deny what you do for a living. Um, yes, I don't think there's been ever a moment since I started training that you don't get asked if you're at a wedding, a party, somebody analyses what you eat or what you choose. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's the danger of the day job. <laughs> I'm always happy to help, certainly if it's my area. (laughs) Lucy, can I ask, you mentioned um, a little bit about some national projects that you're involved in. Um, How do you get involved in those? Because I know, you know, for someone who's kind of inspiring to, you know, go into a role such as yours, how do you kind of get to that point where you're maybe approached to be involved in things, um, but you're not quite at that level yet. How do you how do you kind of wiggle your way in to get involved in maybe more national strategic roles? I think it's taking the opportunities. I mean, I was very lucky. I was sort of, you know, about six, seven years in and was asked to um, be one of the dietetic reps on the NICE guidance for supportive care. So it kind of started from there. And I think, you know, once you've done one, people meet you and then remember you. Um, I've certainly I've been found through my LinkedIn profile, I think probably in an instant just like this. Um, I would definitely I think for dietetics, I'm sure it's the same for many professions. You have your national groups. So for dietetics, we have the British Dietetic Oncology Group. So I've always gone to their meetings um, and certainly now you know, obviously I'm on the committee now, but you know, I was asked to be on the committee having come through the subgroups. Um, there's often little things it's just responding you know it's putting pen to paper and responding to things it's it's going covid's been a bit weird because obviously there hasn't been the same networking opportunities but i think it's it's going to the conferences it's going to the study days it's talking to people on stands it's expressing that interest um yeah so it's just but it's taking I think it's seeking the opportunities to a certain extent as well and often you know as I said the oncology group will often ask for people you know if we've got specific projects we'll often ask and and you do want a broad range of people you know you don't necessarily want someone who's done the job for 20 years that's great but equally you want the the new people coming through who've got new ideas new experiences um our newest member on our committee joined us as a student you know we had a student member on our committee and she's been phenomenal in the social media side of things which you know some of us weren't (laughs) as well versed in so you know there's 
it's just putting yourself out there, putting yourself forward, I suppose, and seeking those opportunities. Just because we have quite a broad range of listeners, Lucy, how do you become a dietitian? Do you go to university? You talked about being kind yes. of registered as well. Yeah, so um, I suppose dietitians, we we often have that confusion with nutritionists. And I think and dietetics is a protected title. So we sit on the HCPC register. Um, we have to go to university in the UK. It varies between a three, four year course or an MSc. Um, and you have to sit your state registration exams um, to be clinically registered to then become a dietitian. Unfortunately, in the UK, nutritionist isn't a nutritionist isn't a protected title so it means that all sorts of um people you know anybody could call themselves a nutritionist now some will have a very good degree um a good msc they'll have qualifications a passion and interest not everybody will who uses that title so um yeah dietetics it's it is through a university but said um bsc or msc route no, thank you. I think it's good to know. Um, quite a few patients I come across, they always, they're not sure what a dietitian is, especially in like a head and neck clinic. Um, do you think with all of the training you've done, your experience and working in kind of dietetics, that anyone can help support oncology patients throughout the pathway, sort of in their nutritional diet, or would it be specifically for dietitians in certain settings? I think in certain settings, you need a dietitian. I think there's a role for anybody who works um with cancer patients, be it in the charity sector, the NHS, um, to be giving the right messaging. Um, so I think everybody can play a role in that situation. Um, but there are sort of patients who ha will have very specific needs that then do need that specialist input from a dietitian. So it's not every patient needs to see a dietitian, but every patient needs good nutrition advice um, and then signposted if they have very specific needs. So Lucy what advice would you give to other healthcare professionals who maybe are supporting oncology patients um, so as therapeutic radiographers or um, as maybe occupational therapists who are having quite a bit of time with patients throughout their different treatments you know, what is it that we can do to try and support from um, a dietetics perspective, but without having that underpinning knowledge? Is is there anything that we can help do or maybe signpost? Yeah. So I think, first of all, certainly if you're working in a clinical setting, I think screening is really important. So screening tools should be embedded into practice. Um slightly biased obviously work at the Royal Marsden we have a validated tool that we use and I know lots of other cancer centres use the same tool now um, I think it's having that communication with patients I think if they're talking if, you know, if nutrition comes up it's sort of having that dialogue you know how are you eating today have you lost weight recently um, you know are you concerned about how you're eating and drinking um, which may be from a mal, you know, sort of somebody who's struggling, but equally it may well be somebody who's gained weight recently and they're struggling with that side. So I think it's being mindful that nutrition can be quite broad. In terms of the advice that's out there, there are some really reputable websites. So a lot of the charities have very good nutrition information on them. So places like Macmillan, um, lots of the tumor specific um 
charities, so Pancreatic UK, um, Breast Cancer Care, all have very good, reputable, evidence-based information on their websites that we can sign patients, um, signpost patients to. Um, I work very closely with the World Cancer Research Fund, um, so they have all the very latest evidence and up-to-date information, very user-friendly web um, web page um, with some great sort of eating well resources, lots of lovely recipes, um, some, some really good um, taste change evidence that's been coming through with, again, a recipe book attached to that. Um, so that's where I would signpost people to. But I think it is having that dialogue. And I think patients will often say, oh, well, I just expected I'd lose weight because I've got cancer. Um, I just expected to struggle because I had cancer. And it's sort of, sort of say, well, you know, we can help. We can support. Um, there might be some simple changes we can suggest um, that can actually help somebody get keep stronger through treatment. Have you found any challenges with sort of people from different backgrounds or different, as I like vegetarians or vegans, etc., or you know from religious kind of cultural differences as well? I think it's really important we treat everybody as an individual. You know, it we need to be holistic in what we do. We need to recognise that we all eat very differently. Um, we all have very different beliefs about food, so it is being able to adapt to that. Um, to adapt the advice you know if we're talking protein it's you know it's not just talking about meat and animal proteins it's about yeah you know, it's talking about your beans your pulses um and yeah you know, there, there are plenty of other sources and ways people can have a well-balanced diet um that can fit in with their beliefs their cultural needs um you know you need you might need to reach out you know over the years i've worked with great advocates um you know, some of the, you know, the charities, you know, again, will help look at sort of trying to adapt the advice. Um, we've just been looking at some bowel obstruction advice, for example. And um, so we reached out to the Vegan Society and they've got a dietitian that works specifically for them who was able to give us some great advice and resources that we were then able to put into our diet. So the diet was more meaningful to a much more broader range of people. Do you think with prehabilitation as well, um, maybe it's getting a bit broader around dietitians? Um, I suppose lots of our pelvis patients who come through, I think some of them, especially some of the older gentlemen who come through, oh no, I've always had the same thing to eat every day and you try and get them ready for pelvic radiotherapy, it it's can be quite challenging. Absolutely. So I think that's where, you know, the prehab, um, you know, we've always said, or I've certainly always said um, that, you know, you want to see people or you want people to get nutrition advice as early as possible. And actually the prehabilitation work that's been done, especially the latest resource that came through with Macmillan and um, the sort of the anaesthetists has been so valuable um, at really sort of highlighting that actually you want to you want people to think about nutrition from diagnosis you know are there things they can do to adapt to change to help themselves in that situation um, and recognizing the importance of nutrition at that stage um, can really help someone have control um, and I said it doesn't need to come from a dietitian. There's plenty of resources out there. It's just more about getting that messaging across that nutrition does play a role, um, and is something that you know you can do if you need to to adapt. It's something you can do for yourself um, in that situation. 
I'm just intrigued because I, I know that we have lots of um, people who are about to start treatment going through um, on the podcast. What advice would you give them? So if they're thinking, right, okay, Lucy's saying I need to start thinking about my nutrition now, but what is it that they maybe need to start thinking about or altering or even considering? So this is considering i think if you're eating and drinking well it's just having a bit of a mental checklist um so if food is something that you're enjoying your you know food's not an issue i suppose from that perspective then if we turn to something like the world cancer research fund you know the guidance is about having a very balanced diet it's trying to use fresh foods wherever possible, um, limiting the processed foods. So getting nutrition um, from a sort of, as a whole grain, wholesome foods, I suppose, as possible in that situation. If if eating has become harder, um, and really with any treatments, protein is key. So it's ensuring that you have got that adequate sources of protein sort of running through the day. And again, it's just that sort of mental checklist of your own diet. You know, have I included protein at least, you know, if you eat three meals a day, at least two of those meals. You know, if I'm, so that's sort of your, you know, that is your meat and your fish, but it's also, as you know, we said the eggs, the dairy foods, it's the, um, the beans, the pulses. So it's just having that sort of sense check of, am I including protein where I can? Because that can really help with your strength. Um, and there's some good evidence to support, you know, if we can keep people as strong as possible during treatment that can really help with outcomes um, but if you're eating well yes turning to the world cancer research fund and you know am I having my five portions of fruit and veg a day am I you know keeping my fiber levels up um, am I sort of keeping the processed foods to a minimum not they don't need to be avoided but just you know where possible having as broad a range of foods as possible um, is key I suppose as actually said you don't want people to get bored of what they're eating as well I think lots of patients who I see no. have changed everything when they come in on their their first review. Yep, I've cut this out, I've cut that out. This is everything. And yeah, you have to say to them, well, actually, firstly, you're going to get bored, I think. <laughs> and also sometimes you might not want to eat a plate full Absolutely. of vegetables. You might want some cake. And I always say that that's fine. <laughs> it is. And it's absolutely exactly it's all things in moderation it's going with how you feel that day you know there are days when there might just be something you absolutely crave or you're desperate for and it's you know have it and don't feel guilty um you know you need to do what you need to do to get through treatment yeah. i suppose something quite apt at the moment is sort of the financial side of i suppose cancer has always been there anyway but now thinking about food and what people can do so where i work we do have lots of people who are in social housing or sometimes homeless coming through what sort of advice would you give maybe to try to keep you know that nutritional side going during treatment or before or after when money's a little bit tight yeah it's hard at the moment so they're simple things so things like you know using frozen tinned fruits and vegetables um can often be cheaper you can buy it in bigger bulk and um, keep it in the freezer um especially if the appetite's not so great you know if you use tinned vegetables you can just take a small portion at a time um meal planning so trying to plan i know it's hard especially if you've got symptoms with treatment but where possible if you and your family if you've got that support around you, you know try and plan ahead um so that when you're going into the supermarket you know what you're buying for 
Um, again, actually, if you're on treatment, then sometimes bulk cooking can actually become quite useful at that time because you don't know what days you're not going to feel so great. So, again, if you can bulk buy, bulk cook, um, that can keep the cost down. You can freeze it. You've then got sort of easy prepared things in the freezer for perhaps days when you don't um, feel, you know, as able. Um, seasonal fruits and vegetables so if you are buying fresh fruit and veg go for your seasonal fruits because the fruit and veg because they'll always be cheaper and look around so it's it's often cheaper to buy in the big supermarkets um a lot of them do these sort of imperfectly perfect ranges so you know the carrots aren't quite as straight they're a little bit wonky but actually they taste the same um but they're a lot cheaper so it is worth just sort of shopping around and being sort of mindful but if you can get to a big supermarket for your main shop um then that will certainly help bring bring costs down or obviously online shopping if that's easier um and then if also if you you know if you eat we know meat can often be quite expensive um and if you do eat meat and um and fish you're bulking out using things like chickpeas using things like beans baked beans you, know, you can bulk out a meal you've still got the good protein content um but perhaps bring the cost down that way but certainly planning where you can can really help i love a wonky carrot i get really frustrated you go abroad exactly. and the, the fruit <laughs> and veg markets are amazing and you're like this is what a carrot should look like <laughs> And it's really frustrating, isn't it? When yeah. you see those programs on TV <laughs> of all the food waste because the carrot wasn't straight enough. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, but Lucy, you, you touched on a really important point there as well around um, kind of meal planning and preparation because we often get through Rad Chat social media people going oh you know I've got a relative who's going through treatment I don't you know I don't feel I can support them properly I don't know what to say how to do the right thing and one of the things I always suggest is well do you know what their favorite food is can you cook them a meal that they could put in the freezer um, because I think it's a really nice way to support someone and I always do it um, maybe I'm a bit of a feeder but um, I definitely show love through food <laughs> and uh, if I've ever got someone going through a rough time I always consider actually is there something I can make that they can just stick in the oven or give away <laughs> if it looks, <laughs> looks rubbish <laughs> it really takes the pressure off I know we've done it you know locally here where you know we put did a rotor and you know all took turns in helping just cook meals and it just takes the pressure off especially I mean like with radiotherapy if you're going up every day for six weeks um to then be planning meals around that if if family and friends can help out with things like meal preparation or to hone those meals on standby that can really help and simple things like you know it's nice wholesome soup um you know things like that which are just a very easy just to warm up um and somebody can have and it's just you know the comfort from other people that's it's shows love shows support so in terms of kind of being a dietitian i know that one of the things because automatically uh, my husband said oh who have you got coming on the podcast tonight and i said oh lucy eldridge she's a dietitian and goes oh but surely cancer patients don't need a dietitian because they don't need to lose weight do they when they're going through cancer and I did that whole eye roll of, oh, dietitians aren't just responsible <laughs> for weight management. Can you kind of put that to bed, Lucy, about the fact that dietitians are purely there 
to advise <laughs> and guide people around weight management. Yeah, we cover all aspects of nutrition. Nutrition comes in many forms. Um, so I think we're certainly, you know, we certainly do see people that want to need to lose weight and um, with certain protocols now people do gain weight with treatment and you know that's certainly services we offer you know we do a joint clinic with the um, physiotherapist for example post-treatment um, that people can come along to it's a sort of one-stop shop you try and sort of chat through you know what next how does nutrition and exercise look like moving forward um I would say for the majority of the time though working in cancer and probably for the majority of my team um, we end we look more at the nutritional support side so at its sort of simple level it's about lots of the things we've covered already it's about you know how how can I eat and keep myself strong through treatment how can I you know what does the right diet look like at this stage where do I get the right advice from um, and then there are those patients who may well really struggle with their intake. So sometimes it's about adapting the oral diet. So it might be supporting somebody to change the textures of their diet um, and give them advice on how they can adapt it that way. We can sign postal and give people samples of special drinks, for example, nutritional drinks um, that are high in protein, high in calories, um, that can just really sort of take the pressure off and support somebody. And then there'll be those patients where either swallowings become very difficult. Um, it might, you know, they've either got swelling or the you know tumours pressing on the esophagus, um, where we might need to look at some form of tube feeding, for example. So patients may end up with... Um, needing a sort of small tube that goes from the nose to the stomach um, or tubes that go directly into the stomach and we feed people that way so we enteral feeding um, so that can just really help support somebody um, again it's that keeping them strong as possible through treatment ensuring there's adequate nutrition and then I sort of briefly mentioned bowel obstruction, but for some patients, if the gut, for lots of different reasons, one of which could be bowel obstruction, if the gut's not functioning as it should, then we may look at um, parental nutrition. So feeding somebody directly into the bloodstream through a line, um, again, as a different way of sort of providing somebody with that full full package of nutrition. Um, to, again, just to ensure that they're, they're sort of adequately supported um, during this time so it's very varied um, so there is an element of weight management but there's a lots of other things as well <laughs> with the enteral feeding Lucy what do you yeah. put through the tubes so it's a liquid feed um, so there's sort of in well certainly in the UK there's three or four companies but they they're replicated through the world I know when I've um, taught or been elsewhere we see the same companies so it's sort of a liquid feed that provides um, you know your protein your calories your carbohydrates um, just in a sort of pure liquid format um, there are some feeds out there that now you can read the label and it says it contains chicken and vegetables um but there's only one or two feeds like that it, it probably if you were to read the label it looks quite alien but it does provide all your nutritional needs um 
and it can be either given via a pump and while somebody's sleeping so sometimes with the radiotherapy patients um, they may well have a little pump at home and they can be fed that way or we do something called bolusing so using a syringe to sort of push the feed through at sort of various intervals through the day, a bit more like your meals. So you're having that sort of regular regular amounts of nutrition through the day, which can be, again, quite flexible for people um, who don't want to be sort of rigged up to a machine or a combination. So it sort of just varies. Again, it's working with that individual, what fits best for them, their family, their, their needs, um, and perhaps the treatment they're going through. Lucy, what would you advise for someone who um, is maybe receiving end-of-life care um, in terms of nutritional advice? So I think it depends on the situation. Um, Certainly when I worked at Barts, I spent 10 years working at the local hospice as well. Um, I set the service up there. So and it's sort of that's the area, one of the areas I sort of remain very interested in. It's it's what it's where that person's at at that time. So certainly if they're having palliative treatment, then much of what I've already mentioned is still key. So it's it may well be enteral feeding, it, it might be parenteral nutrition. You know, if you're having those forms of treatment, that it's important that nutrition plays such a valuable role to help keep somebody as strong as possible for as long as possible. Um, if we're looking more... As a team, you know, at supportive care, as sort of a, a multi-professional team at supportive care, then sometimes nutrition then takes more of a role of comfort and it's it's working with someone's likes and dislikes. It's um, trying to keep things as simple and as normal as possible, you know, ideally keeping somebody eating and drinking. Um, but working with, you know, what are people's favourite meals? What are people's likes and dislikes? Um supporting the family as well so you know it's about presenting small portions it's not the three course meal it's you know perhaps a side plate with just a few spoonfuls on it because too much food is incredibly overwhelming so if you're quite fatigued if you're if the appetite's not as it was um it can be overwhelming if you're presented with too much food. So that sort of little and often as attractive as possible, but keeping the portions small can be really key. Um, and working, as I said, with what someone's likes and dislikes are is also important. Um, for some patients, that's where some of these special, you know, these sort of nutritional support drinks can be really helpful. Um Certainly, I've had patients where perhaps breathing is more difficult and actually sipping on a drink is a bit easier than, again, sort of trying to um, eat a big meal or a roast dinner. Um, But everyone's different. So it's just trying to establish um, what's right for them. But that little and often approach, not too overwhelming with the food, can often be key and, and just help in that situation. For patients going through sort of... Uh, different forms of treatment I suppose radiotherapy chemo or, or whatever how how quickly can sometimes patients bounce back from having poor nutrition during treatment um quite quickly I mean certainly we did a project um with GI cancer and radiotherapy um where we were looking at somebody's muscle strength and their weight um, in that sort of pre-assessment phase just before starting treatment um, and then giving advice and giving sort of support sort of weekly, fortnightly through their treatment. 
And you know, even though patients were going through very intensive treatment, where they were able to sort of maintain that protein in particular um, through the pathway, we actually saw some patients improve their muscle mass and certainly maintain their weight um, during treatment. So sometimes, you know, I think it depends on the situation and how well badly somebody's eating. I would always aim for maintenance in the first instance. Um, I wouldn't necessarily expect, especially if they're on treatment, for someone to sort of suddenly regain all that lost weight really quickly. But I think if you can maintain it during that time um, and also look at how you're feeling. So people might not see a change in their weight, but do they feel a bit stronger? Are they able to walk a little bit further? You know, those are all really good markers and really good milestones, um, not necessarily what the scales say. Um, so it is looking at different different things during that time. Um, but yeah, for some, it, it kind of depends on, I suppose, what's led them to feel weaker and to have lost weight. Um, if they've been really struggling with their intake and all of a sudden you can find something um, and have adapted something so suddenly they are eating and drinking much better, you know, you may well see weight gain quite quickly. Um, but for some, it's more about that maintenance and seeing improvements in other areas first um, before you necessarily see a change on the scales. I think exactly you said it's like setting goals, isn't it? And being a bit realistic or with your expectations. Um, so yeah but yeah you touched on some yes. of the projects and a bit of research lucy is there any latest research in dietetics that you could share with us or something that you've been involved in <laughs> um it, it's always changing i think that's the key thing um there's been some i suppose recently um well, recently we've had COVID, so that's kind of scuppered a lot of things. Um, there are some nice new resources out there. So, um, as I said, the World Cancer, I've mentioned them a few times, but the World Cancer Research Fund have brought out some really nice guidance on taste changes. So I think that's an area I've often struggled with. Um, you know, we can tell people to marinate the foods and adapt the foods, but... Um, the World Cancer Research on have worked with a chef um, who's put together this recipe book um, and that certainly really helped sort of open some doors. I suppose the latest thing from sort of dietetics sort of is very much about the protein, it's about the muscle mass, um, it's about the exercise and the combination and not just at the prehab stage but through, through that pathway. Um, so there's sort of work coming out. Um, there's some of the prehab projects that have been ongoing. There are sort of resources coming out, um, both from the UK, but also um, there's been a lot of work sort of coming out of Canada. Um, but protein and that that muscle, but also for I suppose it's not just for dietitians to be aware, but I think it's also for clinicians. So you know we know there's that research coming through that showing this with sarcopenia. Um, both sort of radiotherapy, chemotherapy, you know, and can we identify, um, can we identify sarcopenia as early as possible um, so that, again, we can ensure their patients are being given the right resources, be it exercise, nutrition, um, to sort of help them through that treatment. Um, so that's kind of, I find that really exciting. That's definitely emerging in the last sort of three or four years. And hopefully you know we did get bioimpedance machines and then covid hit and we had to remove you know do everything remotely but those are the areas that we want to bring back it's sort of looking at the other ways that we can measure people um 
to give a more holistic approach. Um, there are simple things. I mean, things like hand grip can also really help as a as a measure. So we're not just looking at the scales. Um, it's looking at those other measures that can give you a much broader picture of the situation that somebody's in at that time. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of areas that we sort of have been developed and hopefully will con continue to be developed in more as time goes on. Oh, Lucy, that sounds amazing. Now, usually at the end of the podcast, we ask for top tips. Now, you've given loads throughout all of the episode, which is amazing. And um, so it feels redundant to ask that. So I've got a very specific question, um, and this will hopefully entice all the dietitians out there to come and listen to Rad Chat. Um, if you were a dietitian and you are working in general practice, and want to get involved in oncology what what would you advise oh <laughs> um well there's the simple training so if you want to if you, if you well, have to fly a flag for the oncology group we now do a tier one level training so it's a one day study day um in nutrition and cancer so i must can't end the podcast with not mentioning that um i think it's showing that interest in getting involved. So, um, you know, I my first job, I was working in GP practice. I was working in a district general. You still see cancer patients. You can still make a difference. Um, so you can sort of test out, you know, is this the area you want to work in? I'm obviously biased. I've spent 25 years working in the area um, and still, you know, it's, it's where I want to remain. Um, but yes, it's sort of working. It, it's taking the opportunities. But so there is there is some course out there. Macmillan do some fantastic online courses as well. So you know you can read more. Um, but sort of yeah, get involved. I don't know if that's answered the question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'd I'd definitely um, check out eLearning for Health as well. Um, I know Macmillan yeah. have worked um, quite closely on the Prosper work and that includes um some dietetics advice um so and again lots of input from experts in the field and um, to create those resources so hopefully they should help as well um but lucy it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on thank you so much it's great to have a different allied health professional come on um so thank <laughs> you um, thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been Joe McNamara and Naaman Jolka-Anderson. A huge thank you again to our guest Lucy. Head over to the YouTube page to see a live recording of the podcast. And if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to the resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. So our next guest to feature will be Nicola Vernon, who will be discussing her experience of cancer and returning to work in the NHS after treatment. So thank you so much for listening and take care.